four days. By this about time now for rot to set in. And many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. This gives us a broad hint that they were people of some standing in that Jerusalem area. Well, verse 20, Martha, therefore, who was the activist of the two, Mary was more contemplative, more the more devotional of the two. But like some of you, Martha was a woman who got up and got with it. Both were good in their own ways. So Martha, therefore, when she heard on the QT that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but she did so quietly. And when she encountered Jesus still en route, as Mary sat still in the house, she said, Lord, if you had just been here, my brother would not have died. She had that confidence in the power of Jesus. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you, God the Father. We don't know what she was expecting or what she was hoping for, but certainly not the resurrection. Jesus said to her, your brother is going to live again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again. I mean, that's part of our hope. That's part of our Jewish creed. We know that. So I don't doubt that. He will rise at the resurrection of the last day. Then Jesus says something startling to her. Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He, she who believes in me, trusts in me, shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He's trying to kick her faith up another notch. And she said, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. And when she had said this, she went away and she called her sister Mary, saying secretly, the teacher's here. And he's waiting for you. She didn't want to go out and tell the crowd and cause a big commotion. That's what would have happened. So she goes back to her sister Mary. Mary, he's here. And when she had heard it, Mary rose quickly and was coming to him. Whatever Jesus does back then or in our lives today, He does for these reasons. His actions, his denials of our will, his delays 
of what we're hoping for. They're designed to produce a result. One, what in the end will be most glorifying to God in your life and mine? You know, we're so often occupied with this thing and that thing and that happening and this thing we'd like to have happen. The big picture, he's got a mission in your life and mine is to bring us into a right relationship with him and that all starts with faith. In this room, some of our faith is smallish. I didn't say it's non-existent. It's small. It's baby-like. It's seminal. It needs to grow. Some of your faith in individual cases is more mature, but it's not topped out yet. So what he's trying to do is enlarge it, cause its roots to go deeper. Then he wants to do in my life, your life, what is more edifying and enriching in the growth of our faith that we, we might get bigger, stronger in every way. When you look at it that way, take your experience, your life as you alone know it. Some things are very hard. Some are chastening experiences we have. But put it all in a basket and shake it up. He wants Jim Andrews, as well as you, to grow in Christ and to become morally more conformed to him. And as I say, underneath all of that is our faith, our trust in him. He wants to enrich it. He wants to enlarge it. It's for that reason that Jesus earlier in this text we looked at last Sunday, and I reread it here, said to his disciples, they already know Lazarus is dead. He's not sick anymore, raging illness. He's dead. Over. Venus. Well, Jesus said, you know, actually, I'm glad that we were not there. He could have been there. He could have intervened in this raging illness, as I called it. He could have put a stop to it. Or he, Lazarus could have died as they were getting there. But there would have been all kinds of questions and suspicions and speculations. This was not a resurrection. Come on now. All that kind of talk that would go on. Jesus actually wanted his friend to die. Not because he hated him, but because he loved him. Not because he was indifferent to the sisters and their concerns, but because he loved them. And he wanted to build them up bigger and bigger. It's the same with you and me. Many of the things that have happened to you will happen to you. It's the same deal. Your name's not Mary. Your name's not Martha. It's your name. It's your family. It's your business. Whatever. He's using circumstances and making you a launching pad to grow and be enriched in your faith in him. Well, as the text moves on, 
we find we find Martha as she meets Jesus in verse 21. Oh, Lord, if you had been here, how many times have we been there? And some, this wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't have gone down this way. It hurts so bad. I don't know what to say, verse 22. Even now, I know you. I know who you are. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. And I know you and the Father are in sync, perfect. And even now, whatever you ask of him, he's going to do. She had that kind of faith. It's huge faith. But it wasn't there yet. I know whatever you pray for, it'll happen. Then Jesus challenges her faith. Now I want you to see two things before I go on with that. In building our faith, enriching it, causing it to go deeper and wider in scope, the first step, and we see it all through the scriptures, is where God's people do what? They pray. God has given you in Christ access to the throne of grace so that you, though the transaction is totally invisible, of course, you can speak to your heavenly Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you can speak through the Spirit and ask God to do this or to prevent that, to somehow work this way or to work that way. You can do that. And you look back on your experience. Some of you, as they are younger in the faith than others, some of you don't have as many as what I call monuments as maybe others. But the Bible is full of them. You go back and you look. As a result of your petitions, your faith has incrementally grown because you've gone before the Lord exercising that right, that privilege to have him do this or that that are very important to you. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's sickness. Maybe it's a business. Maybe it's a broken marriage. And you've asked the Lord to do that. I've, over the course of my ministry, I've counseled many people. Once when, after we moved up here, there was a couple in a church that I briefly was interim pastor at. They sent me a letter and said, Jim, it's fixed. Well, by the grace of God, I didn't fix it. By the grace of God, they sought the Lord. They sought his servant. They wanted to know. They wanted to get help. I gave them the best help I could, but their marriage was healed. It's a wonderful thing. We see that. Some of you have been through that. You've had healed marriages. You've had healed relationships with parents or others or friends. You've asked God. But petition is the first thing. We have the right as believers. You don't have this right if you're not a believer. God is there. You're here. No connection. But as a believer in Christ, you have that privilege of asking whatever you would in the name of the Lord Jesus. He knows every word you say. You don't even have to open your mouth. 
just the words of your heart. You may be driving down the road, not even talking. He hears your prayers. He hears your petitions. And then it turns around an hour, a day, a month, a year, or years later. Been there and done that. Then all of a sudden, the Lord intervenes, and he does it. Prayer is crucial, I say to all of you. It's crucial in the process of building and enriching and deepening your faith and widening its scope. I know most of you know that. I know I'm speaking to the choir, but sometimes the choir has to hear a song over and over again. So I'm saying to you that must be a part of your daily life. Just going to the Lord. Well, that's what that's what Mary and Martha did. Only Jesus in this case was still on earth. And so they sent an embassy to him to tell him what was going on in their lives. Now, Jesus does the next thing, and he does it a lot in our lives. He challenges their faith. Jim, what do you mean by challenges? They already believed in him. What more do you want? Sometimes he wants to take our faith by the bootstraps, and he wants to pull it up and make it deeper and make it stronger. Well, they believed in him as the Messiah, as the son of the living God. That was big in that day. But he didn't want to leave it just there. He wanted it to be stout-hearted faith that would never give up on him. And she says, Lord, I know that whatever you ask the Father, that's going to happen. Well, she believed in the resurrection, you know, all that stuff. But it never entered her mind. I don't know why Jesus had raised the dead before, but it just hadn't entered her mind like certain things don't enter our minds. That he could raise Lazarus right then and there. So he says to her, challenging her faith, just like sometimes he's challenged yours, to believe beyond what you did yesterday, to believe more strongly, more fiercely. Martha, heads up. This is the word of the Lord. Your brother will live again. I think she must have felt a little teased at that point. She wasn't rebuking the Lord. She was just doing the kind of thing we do. Oh, Lord, I've heard that verse before. <laughs> I know, I know that he will be raised up at the last day. She thought of the resurrection as an event that will occur down the road in history at the end times. She believed the creed. I'll come back to that word, the creed. She believed the creed, and she was happy with it, and she applauded the creed. And I believe that. I embrace it. Just like you and I do, the Lord's going to come again. You know, we believe that. We own it. We wrap our faith around it. Lord, I know that he will rise at the last day. And then here's where we're going to focus more. Jesus must have looked her right in the eyes, only he can do. 
And he said, Martha, are you listening? You're thinking of the resurrection as something that's going to happen down the road there somewhere, probably a long way off. And your brother Lazarus, who's been in the grave now, been in the tomb for four days, his body starting to decay. You're thinking that he's going to be raised then. Now look me in the eye. I'm going to challenge your faith. Martha, you got your eyes fixed on me. I and the resurrection and the life. He, she who believes in me shall never perish. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never do, do you believe this? Well, when it comes to our relationship with our Father and His Son, the question so often becomes, do you believe this? Let's talk about that. so big. The resurrection, folks, is not just an event. It is that, but it's more than that. I know that he'll rise the last day, but she had missed something. I say again, she thought of the resurrection as a fixed event in the future, which it is. Not as a power embodied in a person. Jesus is saying to her, what you've not yet grasped is that the person standing right before you, you're looking at it, is the resurrection and the source of life. Life is resident in me. Now listen carefully. Christianity is Christ. It's not a church. It's not a creed. It's not a set of principles, moral principles or anything like that. Christianity is Christ. Christ. He is the resurrection. And he is the life. He is the image of the living God, the Father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is God in the flesh who has revealed the Father in heaven to us through the apostles and prophets and then through himself. Unlike Islam, say, true Christianity, I don't belong to Christianity. I belong to Christ. I don't belong to Lake Bible Church. I belong to Christ. I don't belong to a philosophy, a political or moral philosophy. I belong to Christ. And if you know him, you do too. Christianity is not a body of doctrines, though it propounds doctrines, which I devoutly believe. But I always remember it's about a person, who he is, what he has done, what he is going to do, 
and what he wants his disciples to be and to do and where he wants us to go and be in the end. The minute we become, I'm going to tell you why I'm saying this. Hang on. The minute we get focused on a mere creed, a set of beliefs, and not focused on the one from whom all those arise, we have missed the point, which is loving and serving and pleasing and worshiping him to the exclusion of all others. We've got to keep that in mind. I said I was going to tell you why I said so often. I'm not big on social platforms. First place, I'm ignorant. I don't even know how to use most of them. Now they've got X, formerly Twitter. I know nothing and want to know even less. And so many of the other social platforms. I use Facebook a little. I mentioned that several times. But I do say a little. I don't use it a lot. But I see people coming on there, many of them Christians, and they're trying to sell Christianity. I'm your pastor. I'm not trying to sell Christianity to anybody in this room or ever have. My mission and our mission as a church is to sell Christ, the person and the work of Jesus Christ in behalf of our salvation, the Lord of glory. So Jesus says to Mary, I am the resurrection. It's not just an event where great divine power will be displayed. I am the resurrection. I'm the source of it. And when you and I are dead, if we're dead, when Christ comes and everybody is raised from the dead, that will be the power of the Lord Jesus Christ exerted in that behalf, in our behalf. He said, I'm the life. In other words, he's the one who is called the Word. The Word is the spokesman for the Father. He's the very headwater of life itself. The life you have right now, the life you had when you're, he's the headwater of that. He's the one for whom, by whom, all things live and move and have their being, not Christianity. I mean, I believe in Christianity, but there's so many versions of it out there. Pick one. About Christ. I'm not about this church. Love this church. I love you people. But that's not what I'm about, your pastor. We're about Christ. He is the resurrection and he's the life. He's the very fountainhead of it all. He's not merely the one who possesses in his own being and is the fountainhead of eternal life. He is eternal life. Whoever is united with him partakes of that life. And whomever he touches, to them he imparts life. What is life? Well, we're not trying to get philosophical here, but we must understand these verities, these simplicities. Life is organic union with God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that's Jesus, that whosoever believes in him might have everlasting life. That's Christ. That's Christ. Apart from him, 
there is only dying existence. You're going to think this is dark. It is. To be reunited to God, which we are not. Babies are born into this world. We love the little creatures. But they don't have life, not real life. To be reunited with God, one must be united to Christ. What we say, in Christ. To be in Christ is to partake of divine life. Eternal life is not something that we received. Trucking along in this life, oh, I'm getting older, meter's running out. I say that all the time. I'm not waiting to find out if I'm going to receive eternal life. If you know Jesus Christ, you have already life because you are in Christ. He is in you, and you have life. You're not waiting to get to the end. Okay, you're real. You're the real deal. Give you eternal life. It's not the way it is at all. Not at all. It's something, eternal life is something that we are united with at the moment we receive the Lord Jesus Christ. For it's a life that never ends. It's the life of God and entails communion with God. But listen, listen very carefully. I said this was going to be dark, not that. The hope of participation in the resurrection hinges on being in Christ. The hope of life and that more abundantly is at stake. You're in this room and you have not placed your faith in that person. Life as you know it is a chimera. It's a mirage. It's a fantasy. And in the end, it's a cruel joke. Listen, I'm not a lot of people in the world, a lot of famous philosophers, pessimistic humanists, are saying exactly what I'm saying. Exactly. This life, only they don't say without Christ, is a comedy of the absurd. It's much ado in the words of Shakespeare's play much ado about nothing. This life is striving after wind. It's all sound and fury signifying nothing. That is if you don't know Christ, if you're not in him who is the resurrection and the life. This life, if you don't know Christ, I'm telling you, you heard it here. It's vapor and smoke. It's striving after wind. If you don't know Christ, there's the darkness that I'm referring to. That is your life. It's all sound and fury, as the Apostle Paul said, signifying nothing if you don't know Christ. You're just waiting for your candle to go out. I can tell you because I'm closing in on it. Candle's going to go out sooner than you think. I heard it said as a boy, this life goes fast. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. i got 65 years yet. You don't know that. But boy, it marches on. 
and all of a sudden you're looking the grave right in the face. Instantly I told somebody, if I pass out again up here, don't call the ambulance. Let's just have a hearse placed out here. <laughs> just, just, you know, speed dial this thing. But I don't mind facing that. But I want to confront people with it. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and I'm the life. If there's resurrection, I'm it. If there's life, I'm where it comes from. I'm the origin. And without me, you've got nothing. I've said I'm a people watcher, and I'm sure many of you are too. But I, I never get over it. I like where we are here on this corner because I see what people think is like a I was down in Naples, as you know, as I am about every year. And if I go this way, here goes a $160,000 car that way. Then I turn this way, woof, maybe a $200,000 car going that way. These people think they're living it up. They're dying. Even as they're driving that foolish thing down the road. They're behind the wheel and they're dying. They've got nothing. They don't have life by the tail. They have death by the tail. If you don't have Jesus Christ. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live. Jesus asked Mary that. Do you believe that? If I were you and I don't know Christ, I'd be afraid to walk out that door. I say to you in love, you need to get serious. This thing we call life is a serious business and is a lot shorter than you think. Do you believe this? And if you don't believe it, you're on your own. You're in the darkness. You have no help. You have no hope. It's, it's a joke. Life is a joke. As one French existential said, it's a comedy of the absurd. We strive and we strive. We run and we run. We walk and we walk. Oh, I got to exercise. I got to exercise. What for? You're going to die. <laughs> You're going up that hill. Come on, you're dying even as you climb. You're nearer dead now than when you walked in this room. Oh, he's dark. No, the truth is dark. As one man I read just last night said, what we need is some pessimism. By that he meant realism. We need to get real. We need to understand. I'm not that way in Christ, but if I'm outside of Christ, I'm selling him pessimism. You need to know God, and you can know God only in Christ Jesus. What he's trying to do is build our faith. He builds it through petition. He builds it through challenging our faith. Then he builds it through his promises. His promises are, he who lives and believes in me 
shall never die. Do you believe this? You've got to lay hold of those promises. You can't see it. You can't feel it. You can't taste it. You can't smell it. But that's God's promise. Do you believe this? I believe it. Do you? Folks, we learn through experience. And Mary and Martha were about to have that experience because he was about to raise their brother with just a word. My faith has grown over these years. Your faith, I'm sure, has grown. You think back and it's been through all those means that he builds our faith. So, accept your experience. Accept where the Lord puts you. It's hard sometimes. It's so hard. Sometimes life is like burnt toast. And you can't feel, you can't always feel like you're at the Lord's feast, just like it's burnt toast. But he has a purpose, just as he did in the case of these sisters and their brother, who he was about to raise from the dead. He has a plan. And whether you can see it or not, whether you can feel it or not, he's like the great chemist. He makes all things work together for good in certain proportions. And under heat, and they were under heat, makes them come together to make us better for our good, for our enrichment. Part of the problem is, folks, we, we wouldn't say this, but we view our relationship with God in Christ as just the great Santa Claus in the sky. I have this issue. And I have that issue. And I, Lord, I want to be happy. I want a happy family. And I want, I want sufficient means so that we don't have to live under such pressure. I'd like good health. Do this for me. Do that. The great Santa Claus in the sky. That's not what this is about. Folks, it is about the living God. It is about the living Christ. It's all about Him. It's about us worshiping, serving, enjoying Him. He's the big thing. We're the little thing. Let's ask God to build and enrich and deepen our faith. That's what He was doing to Mary and Martha. I'm glad I wasn't there. Sometimes the Lord says in effect, we don't see it, we don't know the transaction, but sometimes you're in a position where he doesn't come through as you expected him. And he says in effect, I'm glad I wasn't there. <laughs> I wanted you to be here. I'm glad I wasn't because I've got a better plan. This one right now hurts like heck. But he's got a better plan. Even when it's discipline, the Lord sometimes has to discipline us because we're wayward, but all of that's to the same objective, to build us up in Christ, to work out the kinks. I've got an analogy that I've often used 
is to use it in class a lot. You can use your imagination. I'm going to take a wire, one of these flimsy wire coat hangers. Now watch me. I'm going to unhook it up here. You see it? Now it comes loose. And now I'm going to take it and I'm going to pull it apart and then I'm going to smash it and just wrap it all up so it's just one mess. That's us in Adam before we knew Christ. There's no hope for that wire. Then in the providence of God in his elective grace, he moves into our lives, sickness and in health, wealth or in poverty, in pain or in pleasure or whatever. He moves into our lives in Christ and he finds as I would find in class, the two ends of that. And then with one mighty stroke, such as I have, I'm going to take the two ends of the wire and I'm going to go, oh, there's the new birth. What do you see? Students would say, you straightened it out. I said, what do you mean I straightened it out? Look at it. What do you see? Kinks here and there and there, some bigger, some smaller. That's us when we come to know Christ. We're a kinky mess. All of us. What does the Holy Spirit who indwells us do? Spirit of Christ. He takes my life and your life. He's wanting to build us up into moral conformity to Jesus Christ. This thing doesn't look too much like it. It's got kinks in it, everything. Oh, it's vastly straightened out. But then in his providence, the Spirit of God goes in and he begins to take it piece by piece. Right here, you and I have a big problem. He works on that. Then he works on here. And then maybe he works on two or three things. What's he doing? Well, we would say straightening us out because all of us, including the pastor, we need a lot of straightening. But at the end of the day, when Christ appears, the rest of that will be straightened out. And God will have used all things to work together for good. For the glory of God. That's what he's trying to do. It's not about you and me in particular. It's about him. It's to his glory that we are made trophies of his grace. That's what Jesus was trying to do in the case of Mary and Martha. And now their dead brother. It's a wonderful thing. But don't think of your God as a Santa Claus in heaven. Who's just there to fix your problems on earth. Some of our problems on earth are going to stay. All the prayer that we can do is not going to fix them because the Lord doesn't want them fixed. He wants them to achieve other things in your life. He did not want to fix Lazarus when Lazarus was sick. He wanted Lazarus to pass because then he wanted to come back where nobody could deny it and he wanted to raise him from the dead. Boy, that was big. That was huge. Well, think of those things as you travel down this 
crooked and narrow road called life. Just think of it and don't get too impatient. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he will make your path straight. He'll make it what it ought to be. I don't know why God does a lot of the things that he does in our life, but I know his ultimate purpose. For the glory of God. Just like that particular narrative. What the Lord wants to do with your life is make it a staging area for his glory. So you accept his providence. He knows what he's doing, and he knew what he was doing in this case. I would invite, I would urge, I would beseech anyone here. There are always people in our services every Sunday morning, maybe one, maybe two, maybe more. People are going to church, but you're not coming to Christ. I would implore you not to wait. You're on a dead-end street. You're not going anywhere except to the grave and eventually to outer darkness. God has given you an opportunity to say yes to him. Do you, do you believe that? To say yes. You are the resurrection and the life. You're the son of the living God. You are the very image of God. You are God in the flesh. In you I trust. In you I live and move and have my being. But you need to do something. It's not going to happen by osmosis. You need to act. And that action is repent, which is the first step of faith. The positive side is, I believe that. I embrace it. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the truth that the Lord Jesus revealed to us. Help us to understand, to get it, our Father, that Christianity, as much as we embrace it, is not the point. The point is a person. Christianity, rightly apprehended, is Christ, whom to know is life eternal. Help us to focus our attention on living, loving, serving, pleasing, and worshiping Him. Deliver us, our Father, from institutionalism where we become, we become about an institution or a denomination Deliver us from that. It's idolatry. Get our hearts and minds on Jesus Christ and draw any who are here, we pray, be our prayer for them to a saving knowledge of him. Amen.